and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Essential Property Podcast. My name's Amanda and I'm here with my co-host Paul Samuda talking all things property in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle, Underlime and Crew area. Now today we are going to be talking about the private rented sector and some relevant surveys that have been taking place with the BBC that I'm sure that some of our listeners will be aware of. And we're going to be having a general catch up of the markets and actually reflecting on about a year or so now since we first launched the podcast and what's happened during that period as well. So to kick off, there has been a lot of talk about the BBC's survey in conjunction with Property Mark to talk to agents and to talk to landlords about the sector, why they think the landlords are exiting the market or some landlords are exiting the market and why we now start to have an increase in demand and a decrease in supply. So there's been some controversial comments around the survey, some people saying that you know, the survey, the answers to the survey are obvious and there's a, some obvious reasons why landlords are exiting the market. But I think it's important that we share our experience and feedback of, of what we're seeing in the market as well. So I'm going to ask you a question, Paul, to kick off in terms of the last, it's really been going on for the last couple of years, let's be honest. It's now just starting to become sort of, you know, in the main. Why are some landlords, and I stress some, taking the decision to exit rather than remain in the private rented sector? Amanda, I mean, I, I actually can't believe that we're on episode 23, to be fair. Where's the time gone? We're well into our second year and so many things have happened. And now this, you know, I have to say I'm one of the cynics. When the BBC announced that they're doing a survey, you think, why are the BBC doing a survey? Is it, are they doing a programme? Are they going to do a We Hate Landlords programme? What's that all about? But I think you touched on it. I think it's quite simple. I think it's straightforward. You know, landlords, their job is to provide accommodation and to make a profit. A lot of landlords had bought property to replace a very poor, non-performing pension for which they were paying very expensive management charges. And they took the view that they could do a better job in securing their future. And then our friend, George Osborne, came along and said, we're going to make it difficult for all you landlords that own property in your personal names by taxing you you know so that's the first reason that's the biggest reason if you're not making any money why would you want to stay in the sector if the only way you can make money is, is on growth and during a very very horrible time during the pandemic you were told that you have to suck it up not chase after rent not evict tenants but basically you need to fund that that's gonna leave a sour taste in some landlords mouths so they're gonna say you know what i've had enough of this I think, I think the government made, made a poor calculation or an incomplete calculation by sucking it to landlords that provide over comfortably over 20% of the housing stock to the country. Why did they think that was not going to have an effect, that a landlord was going to roll over and say, yeah, fine, we'll pay more taxes, we'll you know, not collect rent, do all these things, we'll be border control aficionados for the government we don't mind why do they think that's not going to have a negative effect so landlords have voted with their wallet voted with their feet and said I've, I've had enough what our wonderful government hadn't considered 
that that was going to have a quite an aggressive reduction in stock for people that want to rent. Because remember the other thing they were doing, right? They were pushing for first time buyers. They had lots of incentives for first time buyers. So you've got a double whammy. So you've got landlords exiting all those rental houses uh, or a lot of those rental houses potentially bought by first time buyers. So that puts a double squeeze on the rental stock. So renters come along and say, look, I want to rent a house. My budget's, in our case, in Stoke and Crew, £400. And letting agent says, yeah, you'll get a studio for that now. It's now 550 for starters for a two up, two down. Yeah, and that's, and that's the effect. So I don't think you have to do a survey. I think it's straightforward. If every other, if every commercial company, when something didn't go right, did a survey to work out, it means that they don't, they don't know their product. I mean, they don't know what they're doing. Um, so I don't think you need a survey. I think it's obvious why landlords are exiting. I mean, landlords exit every year because, you know, they've come to the end of their mortgage or they're retiring and that's normal. But definitely, there's, I've seen some of the numbers and there's definitely been a run for the exit because I've said, this is just not worth it anymore. Interest rates are going up. We're probably going to talk about it a little bit later. Interest rates are going up. That's another reason. There's an article in the Financial Times this weekend. And when you work out between the extra taxes you're paying and interest rates going up, I think interest rates go up by another 1.5% and you're losing money on your typical 70, 75% loan-to-value mortgage on a buy-to-let. So it's a problem. You know, it's a problem. It's a problem for the government in terms of what do we do? How do we house all these people that need to rent? Where are they going to get the money from to pay these increased rents? And, you know, the last thing the government wanted to do is to admit they got it wrong and reverse what they believe is a good decision. You know, landlords are now doing service accommodation. They've always done service accommodation. This isn't new, but there's an underlying demand for short-stay accommodation because people's holidaying habits and travel habits have changed. No longer is short-stay accommodation just for hotels or BBs. It's changed. And landlords have said, we'll invest in our property and change that. And that puts a little bit of pressure on the housing stuff. Governments are happy about that. And my guess is that they're going to probably look at some point to reflect their distaste for that move, because that's what governments do. So I'm ranting. (laughs) I'm never happy when it comes to government involvement. So there you go. That is a little bit of a rant. But the statistics I don't have to hand in terms of percentage But with regards to the number of landlords in the private rented sector who only own one property is huge. So let's just say the majority of are sort of one or two property owners rather than portfolio owners. I would say 40%. I think it's 40%. Really? Okay. I thought a little bit higher, but okay. That's a lot. That's significant. Yeah. So it only takes one or two things to happen for that person to say, it's just not worth it for me. And I think... The real stinger during COVID was the restrictions with regards to non-paying tenants and evictions. And I think it goes without saying that all landlords had an element of empathy within the first sort of few months of COVID as everybody was suffering to a degree. But the government certainly said it's okay, landlords can just carry this one for us. And, you know, we did also have a scenario, we're not immune to it. But unfortunately, we had a gentleman that that, uh, wanted to, to play the game, so to speak, and you know, six or seven months later and quite a few thousand pounds later, only did we manage to resolve that situation. So if you've only got one property and you've had six or 12 months of no income and you have increased costs, like you say, Paul, just the, the bitterness and the resentment, I guess, you just say, look, I'm done. I've got some equity in there. I'll sell, I'll take my equity and I'll, and I'll move on to something else. 
a part of the question in the survey, because I did actually complete it, was around short-term lets. So I, I was quite vocal in my response to the survey in terms of the reasons why landlords are unhappy, I'm going to say, because we don't exit the market in any shape or form. Paul and I are property collectors, net buyers, and we're definitely not um, exiting ourselves. But it mentioned in there about how many properties have you converted from residential to short-term lets? How many of your landlords or other landlords that you know are converting their property to short-stay lets? So I thought that was, like you say, I was a little bit cynical around that in terms of you know the BBC and perhaps the government and how they're going to present that. But property isn't immune to just the reality of and the trends of what's taking place in the country. And like you say, if there is a move towards a change in behaviour, then the property market's going to reflect that and the government can't stop that or stem that, really. Well, you say, you say that. I mean, governments, as has been proved fairly recently with regard to this little skirmish in inverted commas on the continent, can do a great deal. They can influence changes in the law, which we have seen in HMO licences, we have seen with regard to the tax system. So, you know, the government doesn't want their agenda, you know, it doesn't matter which government, affected and housing is seen to be a basic right in this country and if it is made more difficult because properties have been converted to people that live and work in the area to be presented for people that are out of area who are there in a transient way and that affects the ability for local people to find housing then the government's going to have something to say about it if you read about areas down in cornwall and some of those holiday places, it's, 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 a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's all about finding the balance because there's a desire to service people when they come into the area. There's also a desire to ensure the local population have good housing. Where that balance is, I think neither you or I know. I don't think the government knows. But I think what is important is that, you know, we, I'm probably a proponent where I prefer the government to be more hands-off rather than hands-on. But an organisation like Shelter, you know, is the other extreme. I think there's a role for short stay for a whole bunch of reasons. We provide short stay management and our landlords like the benefits, like the fact that it slots in with longer stairs. It's an alternative for people arriving into the area. It's, it's, it's cost effective. It's competitive. I don't suppose the hotels like it because it prevents the hotel from jacking up their rates. So... But it gives choice and offering choice is never a bad thing. But the flip side of that, it does crowd out some of the rental options for the local population. In terms of our objective, our objective is to provide the best service we can to our landlords, both in terms of podcasts like this and in terms of the management that we do. And, you know, during the lockdown period, there was no such thing as service accommodation because that was banned. So that's one of the downsides of service accommodation. The buy to let, the normal residential was fine, but you could not offer a SA facility because of the risk of COVID unless there were essential workers. So that's, and that's, and that's part of the risk and there's other risks involved. So, you know, landlords take a view and they look at the risk and they look at the returns and they'll take a view. And I think in a democracy, in a, in a system where pro-capitalists, I think that, that's what you do. And we should be left to be able to do that. There are some local authorities there are some MPs that want something pretty much the opposite of that, rent controls and all that sort of stuff. And I, I'm not for that. But property has always been a hot potato because it's the basic human need. And it's always going to be a political hot potato and government's going to try and get it right. 
I think all we can do in terms of our communication, in terms of helping our landlords, is to direct them where the most profitable activity happens, where the opportunities are. We can assist them directly or indirectly, or just signpost them and make them aware of any new legislation, any new risks, and things like that. I mean, one of the things we're going to talk about, it's been probably six months now since Article 4 in crew. And that's been interesting. It's been like stony silent in terms of activity. There was a little bit of activity around the deadline of 1st of November, some ridiculous activity, we think, because they were flexing their muscle in terms of you've missed the deadline, so therefore you can't operate. And then ever since that, it's been like silence. So it's a funny old time. It's a funny old time. It is. I've been keeping an eye on the planning portal for crew with regards to HMO applications that are still being presented. And the feedback from the local sort of councillors and committees obviously is exactly the same as it was before. Extremely anti. Um, I saw an application go in for a fully renovated, beautifully converted HMO. Big rooms, en suites, you know, right next to the train station. And the feedback is that it is poor, inadequate accommodation and recommended that it be um, obviously just thrown out of thrown out of planning. So we'll see. I'm keen to see if any manage to uh, work their way through to see if it is a completely closed door or if the door has been left ajar. So just time will tell with regards to that. Um, so, so just just interrupt. That's interesting. So who said that it was not fit for purpose? Was it? the planning officers or was it the local councillors? After about three months, the planning case officer hadn't commented and a date hasn't even been set for the case to be decided on. And this was all of the hubbub from the uh, local councillors. There was a subcommittee created to discuss it and the results were posted and it was all the usual, poor accommodation, poor parking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that wasn't an official committee, but that was a sort of a subcommittee that got together to put forward their points. So just more of the same, really. But we know that's the case. That's why Article 4 was put in place in crew, sort of the anti-HMO mission. So again, we will see how the cases are determining them. Yeah, it's probably going to be like that for at least the first year Mm. until it settles down. I think once people realise that housing becomes a problem. I mean, we forget that HMOs are affordable housing. Yeah. So affordable housing is in the long-term development plan for crew and stock. We need more affordable housing. So if you if you cut off, you know, 15% of crew as an area in terms of providing HMOs, that eventually is going to have some sort of knock-on effect on the affordable housing stock. Now, I don't know whether councillors get that detailed in terms of their assessment or whether they say that there's too much rubbish piled up out these out of these HMOs. I mean we'll see we'll see what happens after the after after year one because it's brand new, fresh, yeah. brand new. And I guess some of the planning officers aren't even sure what they should or shouldn't be doing and whether they want to take a chance, you know, for fear of falling foul of the councillors, mm. uh, which is not supposed to be the case, but in practice that that is. There uh, has already been some impact though, because our occupancy has rocketed through to many days at 100% and operating 95%, 97% occupancy. And, you know, no doubt that has had a little bit of an impact because there hasn't been any new additional stock coming through to the market in 2020, let's say. There's probably been a little bit, but not like it was before. And they will see that going forward. So that whole, you know, reducing supply and increasing demand that we're talking about nationwide for the PRS 
it's happening in our, in our little micro economies as well. I think you're right in terms of the squeeze on the sector. In the absence of additional stock, it's a problem. And it's like us as, as, a, as a letting agent, we need more houses. And isn't, there's not enough houses for us to market and fill. So we're forced to increase the prices, which landlords are happy about that because they make a little bit more money. But we need more stock. And I think councils need more housing stock as well to be able to supply rooms or apartments or houses for people on their waiting lists. And just so the local economy functions, yeah. for people coming in for work, to relocate to the area, etc., etc. So at some point, this becomes a bit of an issue. I mean, I know within probably certain departments, there are some people that weren't keen on Article 4. But you know, our wise councillors obviously wanted it. They've been pushing it for, for, for some time. So it'd be interesting to see what, what, what actually happens. And, you know, as you said, we've increased our prices, which can't be good for the affordability part of that equation. HMOs are supposed to be affordable accommodation. They're still affordable, but they're slightly less affordable because there's less supply. So that's basic economics in terms of the way it works. Okay, so going forward then, in spite of everything we've discussed or alongside everything we've discussed, where should our listeners be looking to invest over the next perhaps six to 12 months in terms of area, strategy? I mean, we're still buying and will always be buying. That's just the nature of our business. But where would we recommend or what would we recommend that other investors are doing right now? I think, I mean, I see stuff happening around the country and I speak to agents around the country and it's no different in, in, in Stoke or Crew. There's an underlying demand for houses and there's not enough housing stock to let out or to sell for that matter. So that puts a price squeeze and that's reflected in rents and property values. Now, that can't continue forever. Or when it ends, nobody knows. Maybe as interest rates rise, that's going to reduce that demand some. But I think in terms of Stoke, Newcastle and crew, I think you can buy pretty much anywhere and it'll rent because of the demand. But it depends how much money you want to make. The last time I went out with some new investors, there were three potential deals that were done. One fell through. One was in Basford, a semi-commercial in Basford, a couple of flats on top of a nice retail shop. That was a good deal. There was another one in Crewe, outside the Article 4 area, which they're going to convert into an HMO. And another one where it was a small hairdresser, two flats. And when we sort of spoke to the agents in terms of demand, rental, what they could get for it, I mean, great. The only question remained is the uplift after the works and how much money you can take out as a result. You know, could you invest 150 grand or a couple of hundred thousand and see an uplift to 200 grand or 250,000 at the end of the works? And that, that takes a little bit of time. That doesn't happen overnight. But in terms of good rents, Brilliant. So I, I would say just about anywhere is rentable. So it's a matter about buying something at the right price. I know we know some people who are doing some stuff on London Road, not too far away from our property, and that'll work well. That'll go great guns when it's, when it's finished because they do a nice job. Those rooms or apartments will be snapped up straight away. I think it's a good time. I always say, and we were talking about this before the podcast, my attitude has always been, if you're looking to buy a Monday, sell on Tuesday and get your money back. If it's a rental and get your money back by Friday, then you might be disappointed. But 
if you're a long-term investor, long-term for me is 10 years. For other people, maybe they can't see past five years. But let's just say, if you're looking at a five to 10-year horizon, then you should be buying all day, every day. Yeah. Because even if you buy near the top of the market, it'll iron itself out over a period of time. We continue to be very bullish on property, not irresponsibly bullish. We're always looking for a deal. But, you know, where, you know, it's okay to sell, sell, take a profit, nothing wrong with that. But we continue to add to the portfolio, we'll continue to do so going forward because we're seeing some growth in values, in crew, where stock as well, in terms of people that we know that have sold and they've got some good prices for their HMOs and stuff. But the rentals are hardening. You know, we're getting good rents. We're comfortably over the 500 for an ensuite. Two years ago, we didn't think that would be the case. Two years ago, it was 450. So it's, it's gone up by almost 20% in two years, 8, 8% a year or something like that. I mean, that's, you know, pretty darn good. Set some of these energy prices that we're seeing and, you know, we got to work hard to manage people in houses for that. But I think long-term, I'm always very, very optimistic with regard to our area and property in general. And I think it's about controlling the things that you can control and not getting too overwhelmed by the things that you can't. Just talking about then in terms of the energy prices, we've rolled out around 15 or so uh, new thermostats in the last couple of weeks. And we'll probably do another 10 or 15 before the end of this month where we are now, you know, controlling, let's say, 80% of the activity in the house. Obviously, there's an element of boosting that can take place inside. But, you know, control the things that we can control. You know, we can give our feedback to the government, but we can't control it. So what will be, will be. But it is about holding for the long term. I completely agree with that. I had a conversation with a gentleman over the phone the other day, and he was perhaps in his 70s and he'd bought property all his life. And he said to me, at some point, Amanda, you need to think about at what point you will stop and what you will do. And I said, I can't think about that right now. That's not even in my horizon, not even in my horizon. <laughs> Valid point, but um, that's definitely not in my five to 10 year plan. I mean, everybody needs an exit strategy yeah. as their life evolves. But, you know, most people have some sort of legacy they want to pass on. And I think we forget, we should never forget that what we do is also a service to the local community. Absolutely. And, you know, I think our governments pay lip service to that. I think our associations, pay lip service to that, although they're supposed to represent that. I'm not a fan of the national associations. I think they're weak and they, you know, the, the government rides roughshod over them. But we do a invaluable service to the community by providing housing. We provide 20% of the nation's housing stock. So one in five. And I think it's underestimated. For that, we go through a lot of trouble. We invest, we upgrade. Yeah, there's some bad, bad actors who don't do what they're supposed to do. But all in all, we do a pretty darn decent job. A lot of the big boys are coming in, doing their bill to rent. But yeah, we're happy to come in because the country needs as much stock as possible. Their, their prices are probably 30% higher than your typical local landlord, but they're offer, offering more facilities. And, you know, there's, there's a role for them. But, you know, housing is a basic need. You know, you go back to the psychologist, is it Maslow? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. And, you know, housing a roof over your head, is the first rung of the ladder. And we, we provide that. So apart from the, the money that's made, you know, we're providing a, a very, very important service for the community that we operate. And I, I always urge even some of our overseas investors that come to Stoke and Crew, I, I always try and urge them to think of it, not in terms of just a financial investment, 
but also into the local need and providing housing for people locally rather than just a transaction on a, on a on a sheet of paper okay so let's look into the future a little bit let's look at say 12 18 24 months where do we see the housing market property businesses and operating in our area what do you think paul i mean let's get the old crystal ball out and shine yeah. it up a little bit it's a it's a funny time i mean property in terms of values obviously done well notwithstanding what we've gone through through the pandemic and not being able to collect rents now that's off the table rents have hardened where where, where the world economies are going through or approaching this stagflation they call it where economies are stagnant and prices are rising hence inflation which is a bit of a double whammy what normally happens if i put my economist hat on is that people turn to hard assets that's commodities and generally property the challenge with that is that interest rates are, are, are increasing as well. Um, the Bank of England and the government have a tricky job in terms of you know not tipping the economy too far over where things just grind to a halt and people start talking about the R word, recession. At the same time, they need to get inflation down and they do that by increasing interest rates. So it's a bit tricky to forecast the next 24 months. I think in our business, Australia is always hope for the best, plan for the worst. So... I'd be fixing any any tracker mortgages that we have. I'd be fixing those on a three or five year decent rate and advising other people to do the same. I'd be just doing a little bit of belt tightening, making sure that things are running the way they're supposed to, keep an eye on all the costs, you know, as a lot of landlords already do. But I think reiterating that to our tenants on a national basis, I think house prices will taper off going into 2023. As things really start to bite, inflation isn't six or seven percent. Inflation is double that. You can tell that in supermarkets. You can tell that when you buy petrol. They're talking about interest rates going up to probably two percent. Base rates going up to two percent by the end of the year. You've worked on the basis that at the beginning of this year it was 0.1%, and that's going to go up two percent. So that's quite a hefty jump. So what you do know, if inflation is is real inflation is is at least 12%. What you do know is that you're not going to get a 12% salary rise. People are paying more taxes, more national insurance. So I think that's bound to have a little bit of an effect on property. Now, there's, there's always a silver lining to this. There's always opportunities that come out of this. And for those people that are liquid or are cash rich, there may be properties that they can pick up from businesses that want to sell up. You know, retailers had a tough time. They bounced back a little bit, but they might have another tough time. If they don't have a good Christmas, I mean, that could be curtains for a lot of outlets. Manufacturing, distribution, just with all the logistical problems that come has been having you know that could cause problems and there could be buildings up for grabs for developers to turn them into something else it's not a very nice thing to say about businesses going under and stuff like that not at all you know we're a business ourselves but as developers you know that's the business that we're in we develop empty buildings we convert buildings that are no longer fit for purpose something hovering by 2025 is the whole epc changes for both commercial and residential and that could be a bit of a challenge because with the old terrace houses, trying to get up to level C is not too easy. We're at E at the moment. We can probably get to a D uh, as a minimum. But jumping to that C, it's almost like knocking the whole house down and rebuilding it again. What I understand for commercial property, that's even worse. Try and get that EPC rating up two levels. It's really, really expensive for commercial. You know, we've had a lot of changes with HMOs, licensing planning 
text changes over the last four or five years. You know, we've got the whole right to rent. You know, we forget that we're now immigration officers. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, the next thing the government's going to say, you know, you need to book flights for people that aren't allowed to rent property to fly them to another country in Africa or somewhere. I mean, I just don't know what the government's going to come out with next in trying to get us as landlords to do stuff. So we've been through a lot of change. All right. All right. But we're resilient. Yeah. You know, we're resilient. We're like, we're like the bricks and mortars. Landlord, we're like bricks and mortar. <laughs> we laugh for a long time, <laughs> you know. So even though there might be some more change of foot going forward in our sector, um, if you believe in property, you'll always stay in property. Yeah. If you believe even among carnage, there's going to be opportunities. And you just have, I always say you always have to have gust of opportunity when comes your way. We're, we're eyeballs on the ground, so we'll be looking and we'll be sharing that through the podcast and through other means in terms of when we think things are ripe. So, you know, my favourite term is I'm cautiously optimistic. Probably a little bit more cautious at the moment because there's a lot of unknowns. I don't think we can underestimate what's happening in Ukraine to influence. I know crew council are looking for properties for or inspecting properties for Ukrainians to come and live in and stuff like that. We don't know what impact that's going to have on local housing stock legislation, the economy, and even shortages of a whole bunch of stuff, you know, gas and all that sort of stuff. I read something the other day, right, that if the gas situation becomes really bad and Mr. Putin cuts off the gas to our part of the world, you know, things could be on rations. So you never know, it's a bit unknown. But what I do know is that we're resilient as landlords, as property owners, as property developers. So, of course, you'd be optimistic, I think. Optimistic. All right. Well, on that note, I think we will end our podcast for this evening. As Paul says, we'll endeavour to keep our listeners updated in our ever-changing marketplace. When you said there about what's changed in the last five years, there is just so much. And that doesn't even cover things like inside the properties with changes to electrical regulations and upgrades and there's there's so much stuff going on and we just say yes we just say okay fine yeah we'll get that certificate and we'll fill in that form and we'll do that survey and we'll register here and we'll apply for this license there and we just say yes 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 and yes because that's what we do as good landlords and we carry on in spite of we carry on in spite of all right good stuff well good podcast good session and we will update our listeners throughout our next episodes thank you for listening great stuff thank you you enjoyed today's episode and if so please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too to get in touch with paul and amanda directly please visit their website www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information we look forward to sharing with you on the next episode